Do you love Christmas music and lights, but also long for more substance and depth to the season? Do you hate Christmas music and lights and also long for more substance and depth to the season? Are you looking for something real in the story of Jesus' birth in a season that drips with sentimentality? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then welcome to this Advent and Christmas season at Salt House, where we're getting real by taking a real look at the real people in Jesus' family tree. Matthew's gospel begins with a genealogy, you know, that list of men begetting men that we all skip over, but a closer look and we see names of five women. Shocking. These are Jesus's grandmothers, and they are not just any women. Want to talk about being real? In the stories of these women, there's scheming, manipulation, outright lies, grief and abuse, deception, scandal. There's Tamar. My father-in-law Judah defied the laws, blamed me, and left me abandoned with no husband and no children. I had to create hope and a future when there was none. Rahab. I was forced to the margins of society and the edge of the city of Jericho, but that's where faith found me. Those same fringes made it possible for me to defy a king, save Israelite spies, and play a part in God's people entering the promised land. Ruth. Even though my husband was gone, why wouldn't I go with my dear mother-in-law, Naomi? Love makes us do crazy things, and following this crazy love, it led me to a new life and family. Bathsheba. What power does a woman have against a king? A king! King David used me. But God then invited me to be part of a bigger story. And lastly, Mary. I was all the wrong things. Pregnant, betrothed, but not married. Yeah, I may have found favor with God, but all I experienced was the disfavor of my people. Surprisingly, I treasured it all and pondered, could this change the world? Yes, this real Advent and Christmas, we dive into the scandals of the real grandmothers of Jesus, the women who made the way for the Messiah. With these women, we encounter complicated moral and spiritual questions that reflect the complexity of our real lives now that don't lend themselves to sweet, warm, Christmassy reflections. We'll find substance and depth as their humanity connects with ours, and we'll be astounded by the beautiful messiness that God, our divine creator, would actually become human for us in Jesus. So in the midst of all this real complexity for these women and for us, We'll await the encounter of our Emmanuel, our God, with us. Tis the season for a real Advent and Christmas with the real grandmothers of Jesus. Well, good morning, everybody. I am Pastor Ryan. I know that I'm like beginning to look like someone else in this season. Simon, my, my youngest son, we were at the mall yesterday, and, and um, while Bonnie was um, looking at in a shop, we just kind of sat down in a chair outside, and uh, Simon was sitting on my lap, and then I noticed like this line of kids start. I was like, no, 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 no. Start. Um, so, hey, listen, I've got this, this friend who has this really unique laugh. It's kind of this, I can't, I'm going to try, it's like, like this honking kind of honk, you know, honk, kind of laugh. And it's like no one in the world has a laugh like him. And then one Christmas, I met his family. And it was like entering a flock of just honk, honk, and just like the whole family was doing it. I couldn't believe it. It, And, I mean, there's something about meeting extended family that helps you understand a person better, don't you think? Well, the Gospel of Matthew wants you to meet the extended family of Jesus in order to get to know him better. 
And this morning, before I invite you to this uh, communion table on wheels here in front of me, I want to briefly introduce you to Jesus's great-grandma Ruth that the Gospel of Matthew includes in this all-male genealogy. And just like the nativity story that we just, wasn't that just spectacular? Oh my gosh, those kids are great, yes. This story also takes place in Bethlehem. And the name literally means the city of bread. But there's a problem here. There's no bread in Bethlehem. And so Naomi and her husband and their two sons, they must leave their home and their place, Bethlehem. And they must leave their people, the people of Israel, in order that they might survive. And so they go to live as refugees in the neighboring land of Moab, and they settle there. They're invested there. They put down roots. Their sons both even marry Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. But tragedy strikes again, first with the death of Naomi's husband, followed by the deaths of both of her sons, which this is like devastating just in and of itself. But there's even more implications to this because in this ancient culture and at this time and at this place, a widowed woman with no sons has very few options for survival. Naomi and her daughter-in-law's lives, they're in ruin. But Orpah and Ruth, they got this choice to make. Should I stay or should I go? Should I stay or should I go? Because if they remain With Naomi, there's no foreseeable future for them. No husbands, no children, no sons. But if they leave Naomi, then perhaps they could marry again. They've got a choice to make here. And Orpah, she makes the reasonable choice, and she leaves her mother-in-law. But Ruth does something unheard of. She stays loyal to Naomi at her own expense. Um, This is what it says uh, in Ruth, uh, chapter 1. She says to her, where you go, I'll go. And where you stay, I'll stay. And your people will be my people. And your God will be my God, she says. There's a word for this kind of love in the Bible. It's called agape. Not just a feeling of love, but an action of love. A choice to seek out the well-being of someone other than yourself with no expectation of payment in return. When Jesus told his followers, the meaning of life is agape, to love God and to love others, I kind of wonder if he had this story of great-grandma Ruth and her choice in mind. Because it was hunger that drove Naomi to move away from the breadless Bethlehem to Moab. It was hunger that did that. But it was loyal love, agape love, a love like God's love that drove Ruth to leave Moab to Bethlehem with Naomi. So the two of them, they hear that the harvest is good again back in Bethlehem. And so they migrate together. And I hope that you don't expect me to do justice to this, this, this whole story in five minutes. You're going to have to go home and read the book of Ruth for yourself. But let me tell you, it's spicy. This is a spicy book. Some of it reads like a romance novel. Ruth, Ruth is industrious. And she provides for the grief-stricken Naomi by gleaning the leftover wheat at harvest. 
And she devises this plan to get noticed by a landowner named Boaz, who is her mother-in-law's relative. Because there's this old law that she knows that she can use called the kinsman redeemer that obligates the family to care for and even marry a widowed relative. So this is this plan that she's hatching here. It's a moonshot, but it's their best chance that they got for survival. And I'm not going to reveal all the secrets of this story, but there's one particularly steamy scene that you're going to want to read for yourself later on. Um, And in the end, something remarkable happens. Boaz marries Ruth. And maybe that doesn't seem very remarkable to you, but consider this, that Ruth is a Moabite. And Moabites were hated most by ancient Israel. It was the law that if you married a Gentile, your family could not worship in the congregation of Israel for three generations. However, if you married a Moabite, this is what it said. Even to the 10th generation, none of your descendants shall be admitted to this assembly of the Lord. And consider this, that later in the book of Ezra, when the exiles are returning home to rebuild Jerusalem, many Israelite men came home with foreign wives and half-Gentile children, and they're given this order to divorce their wives. They're given an order to throw out their children. So here, at the beginning of our Christmas story, Matthew makes a point of saying this. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, a Moabite. And Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David, who was the father of Solomon, who built the temple. Are you picking up on this? Are you picking up what's not so discreet between the lines here? This means that according to the law of Deuteronomy, Solomon, the builder of the temple, shouldn't even be allowed in the temple because he is the, great grand, or the grandchild of a Moabite. Whoa, isn't that amazing? So yes, there are excluding passages of Scripture, but there is also a through line of corrective passages and stories that point us to a deeper theme of agape and inclusion in the scriptures, and it's right there for us. Because it is the very heartbeat of God revealed in Jesus. The measure of our love is how well we treat the person that we can't stand. How you love your enemy and do good to them and expect nothing in return from them. And like Grandma Ruth, Jesus didn't just say it. He lived it by moving toward poor and hurting people, by befriending, eating with healing, and loving the forgotten ones. And then Jesus became the enemy of the state by standing up for these forgotten ones and pointing out the hypocrisy and corruption of Israel's leaders. But instead of attacking his enemies, Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies. Why? Because he agaped them. The Apostle Paul said it this way, God demonstrated agape for us in this, that while we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. 
while we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. And it's that self-giving love that we celebrate here at the table of Jesus. Will you please rise as you're able with me?